Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, guys. God, that was great. Thank you. Well done. Uh, wasn't that wonderful? Are we having a great time? Are you having a good time in God's house today? Yeah, they're still not Pentecostal yet. We, we're working on them, aren't we? Yeah? Are you having a good time in God's house today? Yeah, we are. You know, I've really sensed there's an anointing of joyfulness in God's house today. And I think that's something that God wants to perpetuate amongst our church family. Is that a good thing? Yeah? An anointing of joyfulness. Can you have an anointing of joy? Do you think you can have an anointing of joyfulness? I think you can. I think you can. Yeah? Hallelujah. Just look at somebody miserable and say, I'm praying for you. <laughs> There's that anointing. God's got your name. He's got your name. Anyway, look at this. Uh, we're continuing in our series on, on what I believe God's talking to us. And I know you already know what our main, uh, what our vision statement is. It's introducing people to Jesus. We're going to go for the whole Jesus Christ. Because if you say Jesus, then you think maybe the center forward at Arsenal. Yeah? And on all fairness, who'd like to be introduced to the center forward at Arsenal? Oh, I would. God bless the Gunners. Lord Jesus, pray for them today in a time of disappointment and injustice. Anyway, <laughs> who cares about football? Football's nothing compared to the joy that you have from God. Anyway, the title of today's, this is uh, our, uh, our vision is introducing people to Jesus Christ. And we've broken it down into no show and grow. Oh, that's even better than I expected. But today we're going to look at no, yes, helping people, helping, that's crucial, to, uh, to understand and experience him. Helping people to understand and experience him. And uh, we, we're going to look at a little incident in the life of Peter and one of those precious conversations between Peter and uh, Jesus that we'll be looking at. That's in at the start of Luke chapter 5, if you want to catch up with, uh, with me on that. Uh, but just, just thinking about experience, just thinking about understanding. You know, as, uh, as we were worshipping today, I had an experience, yeah? I experienced the Holy Spirit of God. Yes, did anybody else experience the Holy Spirit of God? Yes. I, I, was, I was thinking, oh, yeah, this is, this is good. You know, God is moving. I'm aware of his presence. And that's uh, a little bit different to sometimes when we just know that God is here. Yes? Sometimes when we are in a, in a time of hardship, we're feeling the, the pressure of some set of circumstances that we're facing. And in that moment, we know that God is with us. But sometimes we don't feel that God is with us. Who's, who's had that experience? Yeah? I know it. I know he's with me. I know he wouldn't leave me in a time like this, but do I feel that he's here with me right now? I'm not sure I do, but I know it. But actually, there's those two things going together. And uh, the understanding and the experiencing of him. You know, I don't just want to 
understand him. I don't just want to understand him. I do want to understand him. I can't wait to get to heaven and be in the big library. Yes, finding out all of that stuff. And there's a quite a lot of theological books that great minds have been inspired to write. And, and the depth of understanding, the depth of comprehension of our great God is marvelous and too wonderful for us to comprehend. You know, who's, who's got a college degree here? Can I ask that question? There's a few people with a college degree, yeah? But I, can I know, I'll just tell you now that, that everybody who comes to Eldad must be massively intelligent. Or else they wouldn't come, would they? Yeah? Is that right? Yeah? You say, if you could just tell your neighbor, you must be massively intelligent, or else you wouldn't be here. You must be massively you must be massively intelligent, yeah? Massively intelligent or else you wouldn't be here, yeah? But actually, being massively intelligent and, and understanding God is very different to, but utterly crucial to, experiencing God. You know, hopefully you've had a moment where you've known the power of the presence of the living God. You know, God moves, God heals. I felt there was an anointing for joy. I also felt there was anointing for healing this morning. You know, I was praying even whilst we were celebrating communion. I was thinking, I want God to heal people. I feel that God should heal today. Maybe that's something that's on his heart. That experiencing of God. And of course, we are Pentecostals, you know. We believe the Holy Spirit is powerfully at work today in our world, don't we? Amen. Yeah. And I think to myself, you know, that difference between knowing and understanding. I was reading about some, some uh, a roller coaster in South Africa, I think it is. And I think it's called the Tower of Terror or something. And if you go on that, you get 6.3 Gs. Yes, that's a lot of G-force, isn't it? Who would like to experience that? I, that's similar to being in a car with Martin going up the Kobo Road. 6.3 Gs, bare minimum, bare minimum, yeah? 6.3, but you know, you read that on your Wikipedia page or wherever it is, uh, and that's a whole lot different to going on that roller coaster. You can say, I know it's 6.3 Gs, but till you've actually been on that roller coaster, you don't know what 6.3 Gs is. And today I just want to just talk a little bit about that understanding and that experience of who Jesus is. Uh, uh, Luke chapter 5, hopefully it will be on the screen. Oh, thank you, David. You can see that I've not got the clicker. I do have a clicker. And I promise to click from time to time, Dave, but I know you've got my back if I get overexcited. Uh, right, so Luke chapter 5. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, uh, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw uh, at the water's edge two boats uh, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into... Sorry, my page is creased. He got into uh, one of the boats, uh, the one belonging to Simon, 
and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, uh, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a simple man. Uh, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. I love the events of this story because this story is, is full of explanation, but also it's full of experience. If you think about it, Peter was a captive audience. I love the way that uh, this whole scenario uh, is, is meeting all sorts of people's needs. There's a huge crowd of people. They're desperate and hungry to hear what Jesus has to say. And there he is speaking into their lives in, in the, the powerful way that Jesus inevitably does. And, and then in the background, there's this sort of um, minor narrative of Peter and Jesus having this little exchange initially about Jesus' need for a boat and, uh, and Peter being willing to, to uh, take his boat out and Jesus sit in the boat. And then from there, Jesus taught the people. And, but of course, Peter was in that moment a captive audience. I love that about this, about the events of this story. Peter couldn't go anywhere. Yeah? It might have been the savior of the world, but he didn't know that yet. It might have been the most trustworthy set of hands on the world, but that boat was his livelihood. That boat was his means of an income. That was his worldly wealth wrapped up just there in those few boards and, and waterproofing material and, and what have you, and those few nets there, you know. And Peter wasn't going to leave that with anybody. I'm staying here. Thank you very much. You didn't say, look, just look after the boat. Hand me the keys back later. You know, I've got some nets to wash. He wasn't doing any of those sorts of things. He was staying in that boat. So the wonder of that is that he heard every word that Jesus taught that day. Uh, before, uh, when Richmond was uh, reading from 1 Peter and he was uh, reading these 
deep thoughts expressed, of course, by Peter all those years later. I was wondering whether some of those things that were that uh, you were reading out were actually things that Peter had heard on that day as he was held captive in the most wonderful way, hanging on Jesus' every word. That day, Peter understood something about Jesus. Jesus teaching, teaching, teaching. And I imagine that there were lots of moments in that day whilst he was sat there tired from his night of, of fishing where he went, sorry, I didn't even tell you the title of my sermon. The title of my sermon is The R and the O. The R, I understand. And the O, that's how it works. The O of experience. The ah, I get that. And the oh, wow. Quite like that title. But in that moment in the boat, Jesus said, uh, Jesus speaking, teaching, life-changing truths to all those people crowding around. And there must have been hundreds, if not thousands of people there. In that moment, Peter said, ah, I understand. And I think that must have been a very wonderful moment for him. But I, uh, I love it when Jesus is asking for the boat. And that's a one-to-one -one conversation between Peter and Jesus. And then uh, Peter and uh, Jesus says to Peter, let's, let's go a little bit out here. You know, once this, the teaching is finished, let's go into the deeper water. Let's go. And, and that's a little one-to-one -one communication again between Peter and Jesus. And, and, and I love these little glimpses here. I know Jesus was talking to hundreds and hundreds of people, if not thousands of people in that moment. But that he was speaking one-to-one -one with Peter. And this became a life-changing moment. And I, and I actually thought to myself, how many of us would be scared to come upon this platform and, and speak to even this group of lovely, smiley, joyful faces, you know? Lots of us would be terrified to do that. But all of us speak one-to-one, -one, don't we? Whether it's with the checkout assistant or with the, the checkout machine, enjoy the checkout machine, don't we? Yes? Whether it's our neighbor, whether it's our work colleague, whether it's a family member, we all speak one-to-one. -one. And, I, and I thought to myself, well, how powerful is this? This is a, a moment where Jesus is helping Peter to understand and experience his power and who he is, and it's just a one-to-one -one conversation. And I thought, well, we're all capable of that. Every one of us is capable of a one-to-one -one communication. And, uh, and I thought, well, that's, that's encouraging. We all do one-to-one. -one. Every one of us does one-to-one. -one. You can't help doing one-to-one. -one. You have lots of one-to-one -one conversations. Even if you're not a very chatty person, you have one-to-one -one communications all the time. And Jesus had this one-to-one -one communication that ultimately changed Peter's life. But after the teaching, he said, let's go out. I know you've been working all night and you haven't caught any fish. 
I know you're ready. You're hanging there, shattered, ready to get home to your bed. I know you've still got work to do. And uh, you've, you've really done me a favor today. But just, just humor me. Put this net over the side. And Peter, in that moment, maybe it was the tiredness. He said, oh, man, I've been working all night. Tired. You know, I'm a fisherman. I, I do this all the time. I know how this works. I've had some of those ah moments when you were speaking before. Ah, I know, but there's some credibility to what you're saying. So because I've had those ah moments, I'm going to throw this net over the side, just like you said. And in that moment, he moved from a ah, I understand, to a oh. sinks down and somehow catches all these fish, so many fish that it's too many fish for the boat and they have to call for help and their helpers come over and there's too many fish for their boat as well and it's, it's too much. Oh, this is what it means to trust you. This is what it means to do what you say. And Jesus, in that moment, convinced somebody to give all that they had and all that they were to the cause of Christ, to follow him, even ultimately to death itself. And Jesus equips us with the, the same tools, understanding and experience. And I want to think about that uh, understanding and experience for us as God's people because it's very important that we are able to explain a little bit about Jesus. Now, who feels that they have got a good theological understanding? Come on, put your hands up right now. No, oh, just one, just one. Now, I've been in Bible college. I went to Bible college for four years. Four years I spent in Bible college. Um, before that, I did a year as a, a Christian volunteer doing evangelism, yes. And for the last 27 years, I know I don't look old enough. That's right, Howard, you don't look old enough, yeah. I have been a pastor. And I agree with all of you. I don't feel that I understand enough about Jesus. I don't. Do you know, I think some of us as Christians, we are scared that we don't know enough. And one of the reasons that we're not going to share this most wonderful truth that lives in our hearts is because we're scared. You know, what if I don't know the answer? What if they ask me about LGBTQ, RSTV? What if they ask me about that? I don't know what to say. Yeah. What if they ask me about evolution? I don't know what to say. Yeah. What happens if they say, well, you know, what about church, Christians, and politics? 
And what about you handling all that money? And what about all the bad stuff that's happened in churches and church leaders through the years? You know, there's a lot of difficult questions out there. And as Christians, would we like to have all the answers neatly wrapped up and tidy? Would, go on, be honest with me. Would you like to have all those answers? Yeah? Well, go whistle. It's not going to happen. Yeah? <laughs> Thank you, Dave. It's not going to happen. Yeah? Because actually, Jesus does not ever say to us, what I'm going to do is I am going to teach you every single scenario that people can throw at you before you can go out and tell somebody about your faith. Yeah? It's not going to happen, is it? I mean, because if you, if you just think about it, there'd be another scenario. Even if you like had 20 brilliant answers to all the most difficult questions that you could imagine, there'd still be another one, wouldn't there? Yeah? There are lots and lots and lots of questions. You know, you've just spent 25 minutes explaining how God created everything, and then somebody says to you, explain to me how a loving and generous God can allow so much suffering. And you're like, oh no, what do I say now? Go on, be honest, who's ever felt that fear? Yeah? We have felt that fear. And actually, God says to us, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to equip you with the Holy Spirit. And not so that you can give the neat and tidy, smart aleck answer. You know, we're always very impressed when, when the pastor can give you a wonderful answer for why such and such a thing happens. Now you're not going to remember that when you're in the heat of battle, are you? You're going to have to rely on the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, shall I tell you just one thing which is going to help you? Now, who, has, who still has questions that they ask God? Yeah, is that most of us? Yes. Of course, we've still got questions that we ask God, yeah? And have all those questions been answered up to now? Not all of them, no. No. So actually, you're no different to the person who doesn't know Jesus yet. It's just you're a little bit further along, and your questions are even better. <laughs> yeah. So actually... They haven't got all, if, if you meet somebody who's searching in their life, they haven't got all the answers, and neither have you got all the answers. I think that, um, has anybody ever heard of a, is it the Gauco exam? Gauco exam, it's supposed to be the hardest exam in China, yes? And uh, it's nine hours split over two or three days, and that's how you'd, you know, the top universities get their people. Or there's the, uh, is it the IITG Advanced uh, Certificate in India, and that has a pass rate of 1%. It's an engineering thing. Yeah. Why would anybody set an exam rate exam that has a pass rate of 1%? And actually, I think that as Christians, we feel that we need to be of that sort of level. Whereas you have a questioning heart, but a trusting heart, yes? A questioning heart. You don't know all the answers. And actually, to find out 
but somebody else who seems to have found their way in faith doesn't have all the answers can be an enormous comfort for those people searching in life. You know, you don't need all the answers. You don't need all the answers. You don't need all the answers. All you need is, is just this openness, an open heart that says, I don't know the answers, but I can introduce you to somebody who does. Let me tell you how I pray. I want to say, now, I'm not going to say this is like an excuse for us all. We don't need to study anymore. You know, when I was at Bible college, they would, I remember they would, uh, we had to study one of these theologians called Karl Barth. Apparently, he wrote six million words in his life. I don't know who counted them. I feel sorry for his wife. Yeah. <laughs> and I can assure you, I didn't read all of them. And that's one theologian in the last, out of the last 2,000 years, however many theologians there's been. It's too much to know. Too much to know. And God says, yeah, you need an open heart. But I do not want you to ignore what you have. When I was uh, growing up, I got, in my secondary school education, I grew up in North Wales, yes? And I remember they told us a story about some girl called Mary Jones who uh, saved up all of her money for months and months and months and months and months and then walked all the way. It was lots of miles to go and buy a Bible, and she wasn't able to get a Bible on that occasion. And, and I'm like... And it was so amazing, the sort of commitment that she had to get, getting a Bible. Whereas today, Bibles are, are everywhere. You have access on your smart device in front of you to more Bibles than you could ever possibly even look at. And, and I ask myself the question, do we treasure those Bibles in the same way as that young lady did. Or maybe years ago when we had less access to Bible stuff. Now, when Emma and I lived in the UK, we saw our family in Guernsey a lot more often than we see our family in Guernsey. Now we live in Guernsey. Do you understand that? Yeah? So when we lived away, we actually saw them more often than when we live here. And that's because when we came here, it was intentional. We deliberately saw the people that we are family with. And when they came to the UK, they deliberately saw us. And I wonder if it's the same way with our Bibles. Because it's so easy to access your Bible, it doesn't matter where you are, as long as you've got a smartphone with you, you can access your Bible, yes? And I wonder that because it's so easy for us to access our Bibles, actually, we access them less. I wonder if that's true. And I think that God, because we need to be able to help people to understand and experience Jesus Christ. He wants us to understand a little bit more 
that doesn't mean that we become oh, highfalutin, although some of us are called to be great thinkers, and I absolutely believe that. But all of us are called to deliberately consume Bible content. And that's not going to happen by it just being present. That's going to be only possible by deliberately timetabling it into our diaries. Did you know that I timetable appointments with my wife? I do. It's absolutely true. I timetable appointments with my wife because I want to see her. <laughs> you think, well, you're going to see her anyway. Well, you'd be surprised. You know, you don't see your you people with with kids and so on and and both working and this sort. You don't see your family as much as you thought, do you? Yeah? I kind of just say that close family members, uh, I, so, I still see more of Emma, even though I, I live here <laughs> when I lived in the UK. I still see lots of Emma, yeah? But I, I do. I timetable so that I spend time with my wife. As God's people, God is calling us to timetable our time with him because we have this such a huge amount of material at hand that uh, unless we do, it won't happen. Timetable it. Timetable it. But God is comfortable with the, the hard questions, and so should you be. Anyway, uh, let's just uh, flip through some. Uh, could you flip me through? A, through I suppose I could do it myself. Uh, the heart of a discerning acquires knowledge, for the ears of the wise seek it out. There we go. It's good for us to know more stuff. What's next? After he replied, go back and report to John. Oh, yes, yeah, so in, in a couple of chapters after the chapter that we've just uh, read about, um, uh, Jesus, uh, John, the Baptist disciples, go to Jesus, his disciples, and say, is Jesus the Messiah? And actually, what does he say? He says, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard, what you have understood and experienced. In the chapter that we were reading just before, chapter 5 of Luke, the next story is about a man who is healed of leprosy. And yes, so, and Jesus says to him, it's not going to come up on the screen, uh, but it says something like this, uh, uh, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. So Jesus sent a leper who'd been healed to the people who had studied and understood the salvation plan of God. So they experienced God's power for themselves. Do you get it? Understand and experience. And I want to just finish with this last uh, thought to us. And that is as simple as this. God wants us to be comfortable with questions. If people ask you difficult questions, remember the Holy Spirit is with you. Yeah? You don't have to say, this is the answer. You say, I don't know all the answers. And I tell you what, I'm pleased. <laughs> You're probably smarter than me, yes. And 
I might be wrong in all of this. I always think that's such a wonderful thing for Christians to say. Because you know you're not wrong, yeah? But you're so confident that you're not wrong. You are absolutely thrilled to be like, I might be wrong, but wow, have I had a good old time following Jesus, yeah? It's so disarming for people. And that you say to them, I, you know, I don't know all the answers, and I'm perfectly comfortable with that. To me, that's liberating. You can have a conversation with somebody. You don't have to be scared that you're going to have to sit the Gauco exam of China or the IITG advanced exam in India or fill out your tax forms, you know, or something equally complicated. I don't know all the answers, but I know somebody who does. But I... What you do have is precious and powerful. Christ lives in you. Now, I'm just going to show you a, a um, couple of things. I know you're very well-traveled. Who's well-traveled? Yeah, what you do. Who's well-traveled? Indicate by lifting your hands. Let's do that again. Are you well-traveled? Yes, yeah, some of you. Some of you. All right, well, okay. We'll work on the Pentecostal thing next week. That's what we'll do. Right. Right. Here we go. Here we go. Is this moving? Now, who's been... Who, what is that? The Louvre. Where is it? Who's been? There we go. Is it nice? It's all right. What's it got in it? Art. Lots of art. Yes. Fancy art. Right. What's this? Do you know what that is? No, it's not, but good guess. The clue was, it was similar to the last one. It's the National Gallery. In fact, it says it on there, the National Gallery in London, Trafalgar Square. Who's been to the National Gallery in Trafalgar Square? Yeah? Well, put your hands up a bit higher. Sure. Who's never been to the National Gallery in Trafalgar Square? Really? Wow. That really surprises me. Yeah. Sorry, who'd been to the Louvre? Put your hands up again. Ah, yeah, I can't see. So, all right, yeah, it's a similar amount. Right, next one. What's that? Does anybody know what that is? It's the same sort of thing. No, it's further afield. Maybe the other side of the Atlantic. Like, this is good, isn't it? It's the Met, the Metropolitan Museum, is it, in uh, New York? Yes. This has got two million pieces of art in there. How about that? Two million. Yes. Who's been there? Really? Nobody. You ignorant lot. <laughs> but I love because they're so full of art. They're so full of art. I love going to an art. I love going to a gallery and seeing a piece of art. I love it. I think it's absolutely fabulous. I think these things, and they're so priceless. And, and you know, if we had longer and we don't, yes, I'd ask you who your favorite artists were and, and that sort of thing. Uh, because I know you care about such stuff. I love art. Who else loves art? Anybody else love art? Yes, good. We've got some cultural people in here. All right, now after you've done your Bible time, 
Go and look at some art. Yeah. Now, I'm going to show you something now. And this is, there we go. You know what that is? That has potentially more art in it than any of the others. Oh, it's controversial, this. That is, it's in Geneva. It is a vault. That's what it is. And that's where lots of billionaires who buy art for investment keep their possessions. And can you go and have a look at any of the art in there? No. There's potentially 1.2 million pieces of art in there, according to the New York Times. 1.2 million pieces of art that you and I will never see. Mind, in all fairness, from the experience of the last three, yeah? You know, we don't need to worry about that one just yet, yeah? But the point that I'm making is, and we'll have the musicians up as we say this, is our calling is to help people to understand and experience Jesus Christ. And I wonder sometimes whether our expression of our Christian faith is more like this one than it is of one of those previous ones where you can go and see the pieces of art. You can go in all of those except that one. You can go and see all of the art there, all of the art there, all of the art there, oh, all of the art there. You can, you can go in there. You can get on there, a boat or a plane or whatever you want. You can go. You can go and gaze at the wonderful creative powers of human beings through the ages. But some people keep their art locked up. They bury it in a hole. Yeah? So they're burying their hole, just letting it get more valuable and more valuable and more valuable. And I think as God's people, even though we're scared to share our faith sometimes, even though we're terrified by the, the prospect of somebody asking us one of those hard questions, even though we don't know all of the answers, what you have in your heart is art, yeah? Much more valuable than anything in any of those places. What you have is the reality of the risen Christ living in your heart. That's what you've got, yeah? And the fact that you find it hard, and I find it hard, to explain clearly a little bit about my Jesus, yes? And I find it hard to help people to experience him. Well, so what? So what? Yeah? I have got some treasure in my heart that people need to see. Yes, and however faultingly I express it, however rubbishly I try to express that, however badly I, I do answering the difficult questions, yeah, however nervously I give an attempt, actually, in that moment, the gates of the vault are flung open. Of a, a vault flung open. And that wonder of Jesus Christ comes flooding out. Comes flooding out. You know, there's a, 
Those are pretty ugly doors, aren't they? Yeah. Doesn't matter, does it? Doesn't matter, it's a scruffy little building. I wonder who that motorbike is. But Jesus says to you, what you have in your heart, don't let it be tied up in there like a vault. Don't let it be in there where nobody can see it. You, you express it. Don't worry when the hard questions come, so will the Holy Spirit. Yeah? He, and he's not going to just give you some neat and tidy answers. He's going to say, he's going to give you some encouraging words to say. He's going to help you to inspire that person and encourage that person to look for Jesus. That's what he's going to do. He's going to help give you the words to inspire that person and encourage that person to look for Jesus. Shall we bow our heads? Hallelujah. Loving Father, I want to thank you right now that we don't need all the answers. Because you are the answer. Lord Jesus, forgive us when we've not shared the most wonderful treasure that we have because of our fearfulness. Forgive us, Lord Jesus, when people hungry to know you have gone away disappointed because we've been so nerved so scared in that moment we don't share you I thank you Holy Spirit of the living God that you give us confidence today to say even though I don't know the answers let me encourage you in your questions thank you for your questions bless you for your questions all I know is Jesus has rescued me and he's with me and he's forgiven me and he can do the same for you. We don't need all the answers but an open heart ready to engage. Jesus, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We ask for more of your Holy Spirit. Come upon us now.